0: One man goes all out for the ultimate cosplay, and then we join a group of stranded sailors on a rocky island in the middle of nowhere. They thought they were going to starve to death on this deserted island, and that would have happened if it hadn't been for a crashed UFO. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter, and I'm going to cut to the chase here, guys. Let me give you a little bit of advice. Life is too short to work a job you don't like. I'm going to say that again because a lot of people need to hear this. Life is too short to work a job you don't like. If you're not being fulfilled by your job, if it's not your calling, if you don't have a passion for it, why are you doing it? I know this young woman, her name's Tiana. She's 16 years old. I've known her since she was 10. She hates her job. And I realized when I was talking to this young woman, there's a fallacy in life that you're supposed to work jobs you hate. It's okay to work jobs you hate. As long as you're making money, putting food on the table, it's okay. And I say no to that. I say you need to work a job you enjoy. At the very least, a job you enjoy. So many of us work jobs that we don't like. Have you ever been going to work and think, I hope I get in a car accident today because then I won't have to go to work? That's a sign you need to change your job. And it is this lie that society tells us and that we tell ourselves that we need to work crummy jobs. Now, there is a caveat to that. One of my favorite movies, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, Transformers 3, there's a scene in it where John Malkovich tells Shia LaBeouf, and this is, this is an important caveat. Shia LaBeouf's about to get a job in a mailroom. John Malkovich has this company. and John Malkovich says, I know this isn't the job you want. You want the job after this, but you need to do this job first. If you're on your way up the ladder and you need to work this job to progress, fine. Do the crummy job. But guys, really, I want to reach out to you. And if you take nothing else from this podcast, from this show, anything, just know that you are better than a bad job. So start dusting off that resume. Start looking for something that will excite you. I know it's scary to change, make these big changes, make a list of the things you need in a new job, make a list of the things you want in the new job. You don't have to do this overnight. But if you are miserable in your job, life is too short to work in misery. You're on your way to your job, and you're frustrated, and you're going to hate it, and you hate your coworkers and you hate your job, but you make good money, you got good benefits, and as you're going to this job that you hate, you have all this negative energy swirling up inside of you, You have a heart attack and you die. You're killed in a car accident. Rogue (laughs) rogue elephant crushes you as you're pulling into the parking lot. How will you feel then? Your last thing on earth, you're going to a place that gives you nothing but negative energy. Find the positive job. It doesn't even have to be a great job. I love retail. I love stocking shelves. I love working with customers. So it doesn't have to be a flashy job. Just look for the job that you love. Life is too short. To work in misery. If you take nothing else from this podcast. Nothing else from 777 episodes. Remember that. There is only one of you. You have one life. Make sure you're working a job. That you want to work. Don't just work for the paycheck. Don't just work for the benefits. You find yourself in that situation. When as you're traveling to work. You wish that someone rear-ends you. So you'd get the day off. It's time to dust off that resume. It's time to find the right job for you. Let's go ahead and welcome in today's legacy Patreon supporter coming into Dead Rabbit Command. Give it up. It's Matt Sprinkle. Everyone give a round of applause to Matt. Give him a high five while you're doing a round of applause. It's all totally confusing. You accidentally punch him in the eye. But you can't sue me, Matt. Because you've already given me Patreon money, so you're going to lose. That's in the law. Did you not know that? Supreme Court ruled on that. If you give me money, you cannot sue me. Matt, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show really, really helps out a lot. Now, Matt, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are driving all the way down to... Brazil. Matt is perfectly driving us down there. He's been in the vehicle, I think, once or twice. He's been a supporter for a long time. Matt knows the way. He's totally like, oh, Brazil, I totally know where that's at. Do-do-do-do-do. We all go down there. You guys, long-time listeners of the show, know I'm a huge fan of Urban Legends. I think that is really... Powered like my childhood belief in ghost stuff. Right, I'm like, oh no, there! A man with a hook is going to come after me. I'm not making out with anyone in a car. I actually don't think I've ever gone to Lover's Lane. Now that I think about it, make out in a parking lot, right? It's a little less romantic if you're in the parking lot of like a movie theater. But you know the whole story, Lover's Lane and the hook for the hand. I love urban legends. Those are the first scary stories that I think kids really hear, and they sound believable. I remember there was a story that I used to be told. That um, in Orangevale, which Orangevale, California is one of the flattest places on earth. You can literally stand there and you're like, hello, state capital. You can pretty much just see for miles and miles. But I remember my brother told me a story. There are these two Native American people. I, I, he did not use that terminology. He didn't use that terminology. But there are these two Native American people and they were madly in love. They were madly in love. But the chiefs, Of the different, oh, they're from different tribes too. That would make sense if they're just like, hey, we're in the same tribe. Let me back up here because this will make it more dramatic and accurate. There's two rival tribes of Native Americans, and you have a dude from this tribe, and then you have a girl from this tribe, and they were in love with each other, but the chiefs of either tribe goes, no, you cannot be together. How dare you! marry that oh they were also they were also the kids of the chiefs i guess i'm a little off track here you're like jason at least like edit that stuff out no don't tell me how to do my show a long long time ago there were two indian chiefs right one of them had a son We'll name him johnny and the other chief of a rival tribe had a daughter named daphne and johnny and daphne were in love with each other but the rival chief, Jason, I know the plot of Romeo and Juliet. Just get to the stupid urban legend part. So anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe you do know how to run a podcast better than I do. The point is, is that because they couldn't be together, they went to a cliff, a cliff in Orangevale, which doesn't exist. The most you'll get is maybe a goalie. But anyways, they went to this cliff in Orangevale and they jumped, both jumped off to their depths. Ah! I guess I I didn't have to have the sound effect that made it quite brutal. But so you're like, that's not urban legend, Jason. That's just like Romeo and Juliet. But this didn't happen in the end of Romeo and Juliet. If it did, it would be awesome. My brother told me, and to this day, if you go to this cliff in Orangeville, (laughs) that cliff that doesn't exist, I was so scared as a little kid. I'm like, ah, I don't want to go towards any cliffs ever. I don't even want to see Clifford the Big Red Dog. If you go to this cliff, To where the two natives jumped off and made that sound. If you stood on the edge of that cliff, their faces, like their faces got cut off somehow. I don't know. I was a kid. I didn't understand logic. But apparently, their faces got sliced off on the rocks when they fell. So if you go to this cliff, their skinned faces would float up. And they would just be like, it would be like if you cut off leather face, cut off their face. And so they had no eyes. They had no mouth. It was just these two bloody... Skin pieces of skin floating around going. Aah! That's terrifying, right? That's absolutely terrifying. It would have been one thing if just their ghost showed up and they were like walking through the woods. It's their skinned off faces floating after you. I remember a, I remember being told that story on an overcast Orangevale morning back in like 1982. It's one of like my earliest memories. Urban Legends, I love them. They terrified me and i still don't go towards cliffs because you never know you never know what cliff it was so i love urban legends and when i and the only thing better than an urban legend is an urban legend like the one we're about to discuss and i gotta give a shout out to nelsilius because nelsilius brought this to my attention i never heard of this one before let's take a look at this have you guys ever heard of a show i'm sure some of you have called i think it's naruto and I don't really know much about it. It's about like some cat ninja, right? Isn't that guy like half cat because he has like whiskers or something? But I see a lot of people dressed up as him when I'm walking around just town. Everyone's like, I'm Naruto running like him. That, that's really what I know. He has a headband and then I think he has whiskers and he runs with his arms behind his back. That's all I know about Naruto. But now I know something else about Naruto. There's a dude named Kankuro on the show and he's a shinobi ninja. And I guess he's a puppet master ninja. So he... I don't know. I don't know. My research ended where I was like, Naruto, headband, shinobi ninja. I didn't watch any episodes of this, but apparently he's able to control people or he can create constructs like puppets and he like marionettes them. Has them dance around. I'm assuming they do ninja stuff. I'm assuming he's not putting on a puppet show for the bad guys. I think he like makes the the puppeteering kick people in the nuts or something like that. I'm not for sure. So that's the background of that character. Like <laughs> that deep dive research. Oh, he does something with puppets. The reason why we're in Brazil is in 2005, there was an anime convention called Anime Friends 2005. And this dude shows up dressed up as Kankuro. It's his favorite Naruto character. His name is Tarsisco Felix. And he shows up as this dude and he brings this puppet with him. Like, he has, like, this uh, giant casket thing, and he's like, oh, the the marionette puppet's in here, and I guess on the show, the guy has something strapped to his back, or he does carry around this thing that the uh, marionette dude is in. So, I know I've lost all my Naruto viewers or they are already furiously typing stuff on YouTube. You're like, Jason, you literally could not have gotten any details more wrong than you did. But the point isn't that I'm going to get flooded by anime comments. The point is this he shows up in this costume with this casket, and people are like, dude, that is one of the best Kankuro costumes I've ever seen. And there's a guy standing next to him dressed up. He's like, oh, I was Kankuro too. They're like, you just look like some dollar store ninja. He actually is going around the convention. People are like, you're really, this is really cool. Can I get a picture with you? And people are like, oh, that was weird, right? something smelled bad, but <laughs> it is an anime convention, so I'm sure the BO meter was off the chart, but every so often someone, when they'd walk by Tarisco, they would go, hmm, that does not smell too good. They eventually have this, like, lineup on stage, he actually, for the entire convention, he's one of the finalists for best cosplay. So he shows up and he's lined up on stage with all these other people, and this is the first time he's standing still. I'm sure, okay, maybe he's stood still to go to the bathroom or when he's in line to buy a hot dog. But usually he's walking around the floor. But now he's on stage with all these other people. You got these bright lights. You got the guy on the microphone announcing everyone. And people are like, dude, that really stinks. Like whatever, whatever your costume is really, really stinks. And they start to think maybe in his casket, his backpack, his whatever it is, there's a dead animal. Because it smells like it's dead. The judges actually get alerted to this, and people are like, okay, we need to actually see, did you bring, like, spoiled food? And Tarsizo's like, it depends (laughs) on your definition of food, right? So they make him open up this casket that's part of his costume. They find a dead body. So the urban legend goes like this. There was a man who brought a dead body as part of his costume to an anime convention in the year 2005 in Brazil. And when they force him to open up, they find this dead man. And it turns out that Tarsizo was actually a medical student. And this dead body was a homeless person who had been dropped off at his college. that They were supposed to be working on someone's like, oh no, my finals due tomorrow. Where's my homeless dude? No! So so Tarzizo had it. If he failed Brazilian medical school in this year, it's probably because Tarzizo stole your body. He takes this body, puts it in this coffin for his costume, and I'm wondering if anyone said, hey man, can you make your puppeteering thing? And I wonder if it crossed his mind, and he thought, yeah, I'll pull it out, and he starts like making this body. Because anyone would have automatically realized this was a real dead person. I don't know why he put it in the casket if he wasn't showing it off. But... The entire event was canceled. Anime Friends 2005, everyone was sent home because this one jerk ruined it by bringing in a human corpse. On the face of it, that's a great urban legend, right? It goes right. I mean, it it totally, it fits. This is what's interesting about it. It fits what we know about people who go to conventions. They're weirdos. And I'm speaking of one. I, I go to conventions as well when I can. It's been a long time since I've been able to go one. But generally, if you're going to an anime convention, I, comic, I used to go to comic book conventions all the time back when I was younger it does attract a certain segment of society. The weirdos, the ones that would think it might be okay to bring in a human... Okay, I'm not saying all anime fans think it's okay to bring in a human body, but you know what I mean. It does attract a certain segment of society. I'm not putting them down, but they're weirdos. And I'm a weirdo too, because I go to these conventions as well. But so the stereotype already fits. The socially inept scientist doctor who thinks it's okay to smuggle a human body out into an anime convention, like it doesn't... Defy logic, right? You could see this happening with someone who goes, oh, there's nothing wrong with this. To dress up as a comic book character. Dress up like Thanos. I'm going to carry around this World War II veteran's body and say that I killed Captain America. And I read this and I go, well, it's fascinating urban legend. Of course, there's no way we can actually prove it. Anime Friends 2005. It was, what, 16 years ago. Anything is going to be in a foreign language. And so I read this urban legend, and it actually was posted on the Urban Legends Forum. And I thought, whoa, dude, this is really cool. And then, and then, as a follow-up post, Nelsilius showed proof. He took a screenshot of a magazine that tells this story. There's a photo of this magazine. The photo was taken back in 2007. And my Spanish is non-existent, but I know a, a smidgen of Latin, and I can kind of make out what's going on. It appears that this article is saying, hey, yeah, back in 2005, some nutshell brought a human body into Anime Friends, a Brazilian convention. It's written in Spanish. The best type of urban legends are the ones that are true. Now, just the story alone is just a fun story, right? Because you can see it happen. But this apparently actually happened. And I will say this. The only question I have is what did that magazine come from? Like, where was, was that a magazine of Brazil's best urban legends? Or was it a magazine about weirdos and and convention culture? Was it just a magazine about conventions in general and this was a highlight story? But it appears that this story is actually real. That a man, a medical student, did actually smuggle in a human body into an anime convention and not show it. That's the weirdest thing. He didn't show it to anybody. It's like he just wanted the realism of having 180 pounds strapped to your back. This dead homeless man fascinating story. The best urban legends are the ones that turn out to be true. And this one's super obscure. I hadn't heard it before, but yes, a man apparently did bring a dead body into, a, into an anime convention and they shut it down. And who knows what happened to the guy, right? I'm assuming at the very least he got kicked out of school. I don't know. Maybe they just gave him a demerit. They're like, Teriso? Teresa, you keep in human bodies. We're going to mispronounce your name every time we say it. But yeah, I really love urban legends, and you can't get any better than one. That's true. And pretty disgusting, right? You love the disgusting urban legends. Matt, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind Anime Friends 2005. We're saying goodbye to all the weirdos in Brazil. We are headed on out to a deserted island in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> Now hold on tight, guys. Huge storm incoming. Wind's blowing. Rain. Rain? We have the window shut, so we don't worry about the rain. I guess the helicopter's a little wobbly because of the wind, but we're actually pretty comfy in there we you're drinking hot cocoa. But to anyone else alive in this area, it's a miserable day. It's September 1862, and we're in the Indian Ocean, and we're watching this huge storm just roil the ocean. Now, in the middle of this godforsaken area, there's the boat Christine. It's a Danish ship. And the people on board are trying to do whatever sailors do to avoid dying in the water. They're like, ah, oh, just don't drown. That's rule number one. Some guy's like, oh, I didn't, forgot that rule. As he's floating away. Christine, a Danish boat is out in the middle of this ocean and the wind and the water and the waves are tossing in every way. People throw ropes, throw ropes somewhere. It's not really good, Captain. Where do we throw them? I don't know. Do something sailory. Splash. People are getting just washed over. Uh, uh people, people were singing a jaunty tune. They're not singing it anymore. They're just like lashing themselves to stuff And it doesn't help, it doesn't help, the boat is out of control, and they see this rocky outcropping, this island in the middle of nowhere, look out, don't go over there, the captain shouts, and they're like, you gotta give us better, better instructions, dude. This boat crashes on this deserted island, and it's just... I mean, calling it an island is probably... I mean, the basic definition of an island. It's land in the middle of the ocean. But what it is, it's just jagged rocks. There's no coconuts. There's no, like, side esque characters already trapped there. its It's death. It's a bunch of jagged rocks in the middle of the ocean. The boat is absolutely destroyed. And everyone starts jumping off of the boat... And basically, like, I can either be in this boat when it sinks, or I can climb on these rocks and slowly starve to death. And so the people decide to climb on the rocks. Now, these rocks, they're not just like you can walk around. There's like cliff sides and things like that. It's just inhospitable to human life. And so they actually have a good amount of water because it's raining and it's collecting in the gullies of the rocks. So they got that, but they like, they have no food. At this point, everyone's eyeballing each other. Custom of the seas, brother. Who's going to draw lots first? They're like, dude, we've only been here for 10 minutes. We don't start have to cannibalizing right now. But no food. The boat's sinking. They're probably getting some rations off of there, but not enough. Not enough. And the men are sitting there. Kind of just... They know they're going to die. It's just one of those situations. You know you're going to die. Nobody knows you're there. It's 1862. The chances of another boat finding you is probably as high as that boat then getting stranded on the rocks themselves. More man meat to eat, but you know you're not going to get rescued, right? Your best hope is that more and more boats crash there and you can just keep eating the survivors of those wrecks. So the men are sitting there and they're thinking, we're dead. And what's worse is that we have all this water to drink, so we're just going to be able to prolong our lives until we all slowly starve to death or start eating each other. And that is when they see something in the sky. A massive UFO is plunging through the clouds. Shh! And the storm is so violent, they're actually watching the ship wobble. Now this is 1862. They have no concept of a UFO. Even today, this would be the most spectacular sight you could ever hope to see in your life. A UFO, a UFO that is estimated to be as big as a modern battleship. This isn't some tiny three gray aliens piloting this thing. This is a huge craft. And it's coming down. And even that, the storm is so violent, it's battering the ship. The men realize this thing, whatever it is, is headed straight towards them. Just when you thought things going to get any worse, a giant vehicle from the sky is headed right towards you. They start to scatter, trying to look for shelter on these rocks. <laughs> The UFO smashes into the side of the cliff, and then there is no sound but the storm. The men start to approach this vessel, and it's mangled. There's massive holes torn in the side of it. It's sitting there now on the beach, but it's not in the best shape. It hit this thing going God knows how fast. And this ship has created a new hazard outside of the twisted metal scattering the landscape. The water around this craft is boiling. This ship's hull is so hot, the water is boiling. The men enter the craft. I love this story. I just came across this one the other day. I really, really enjoy it. As they're walking inside, they see machinery of unknown origin. They don't know what it is. They can't make heads or tails of it. This is 1862. This is pre-Industrial Revolution. The most technological thing they probably saw was like a loom or an astrolabe. But it wouldn't matter. It smashed to bits. They're looking at all this stuff. Oh no, my space loom! Doesn't matter. Smashed to bits in the impact. They see these metal boxes, though, that have a strange type of writing on them, these glyphs. And they're large, but they can open them. So they see these large crates and they pry it open, and inside these crates, food <laughs> so the men i know they're all sneaking up behind each other with a fork and a knife and then all of a sudden they just start devouring this food because again now they've only been trapped on this island for like a half hour at this point but maybe they were super hungry on the way to get there who's gonna turn down some good old mysterious food in a metal box that you can't read the labels Om, nom, nom, nom. these people are eating this food have all this food, now they know that their problems have been solved. They have food, they have the water that they can collect from the rain and the rocks. They don't still have no idea what this is, but you would think at this point it must be God's mercy, some sort of angelic gift, and then there's one atheist sailor who's like, "I don't know, maybe uh." Maybe none of that stuff exists, and this just came from another planet. And people are like, boo, you. We're going to eat. When this food runs out, we're eating you first. Ah. But they continue to explore the ship. And they walk into this room, and the sailors find them. They find more than a dozen. Bodies strewn about, more than a dozen bodies. These men had dark bronze skin, with long hair, long beards. But the most spectacular thing about these bodies, they were all 12 feet tall. The sight of giants, giants from the sky in this great machine that smashed against our planet, killed all of them. None of these posed any threat. They were all dead. But the sight of these 12 inhuman beings sent the sailors running. Some of them, it drove them mad. One of them was so insane from this sight. He he can't comprehend it. You're seeing a non-human entity for the first time. You're seeing a bunch of them. When he ran out of the ship, he jumped into the boiling water. Cooked himself to death. (laughs) Now, I know the cannibals, the cannibal contingent of the sailors were like, oh, right, we're going to get that guy later. But... They didn't, they didn't need to. I know cannibals, they really wanted to eat this guy. They didn't need to. Because they had enough food. For, I, know, I know they're super disappointed. Oh, man. The thing is, is they left the food in the ship. But they refused to go back in there. They refused to go back into the ship. Because who knows what these things were. This was not a place for man. A place for gods. A place for devils but not man. But they were starving. They're on this deserted island in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) This delicious smell of that cooked human keeps filling their nostrils. Eventually, they do go a while without food and they say, guys, we need to go back in there and get those containers. We need to go back in there and get that food. So after starving for a bit and realizing the only way to stay alive was to visit this this cemetery, they go back into the ship. They begin eating the food. They decide to drag the bodies out of the ship. They throw them into the ocean. Now they have food. Now they have water. Now they have time and strength to escape. Because you can't just go out on the high seas. You could build a raft day one. But you're not going to survive that journey. But now that they have this food, they can build this raft. And they know we're going to be on the ocean for God knows how long. But we have a chance now. So they eat. They regain their strength. They build the raft. They take provisions for them. And the survivors get on this raft and leave this deserted island, eventually they reach civilization. There's a really cool book, and a couple of you guys sent this to me a long time ago. There's a really cool book called Albert Rosales, or Albert Rosales, one of the two humanoid sighting reports. And it's a lot like that website, thinkaboutitdocs.com, where it's just brief overviews of these amazing stories. And they got this story from Jerome Clark, who wrote it for Fate magazine back in September 1990. Now, and so the question is, is, it's a fascinating story. I love this story, right? It's really cool. But the, the question that I always go back to is, how true is it? Or is it true? And I actually found out on Wikipedia, they have a list of shipwrecks by year. In September 1862, there was no boat that matched this description that crashed in the Indian Ocean. Although I figured maybe the date's wrong. I looked at October 1862. I did find a boat called the Christine. That was a Danish ship. And it does say it says that the brig was wrecked at Jadarin. Which I wasn't able to-I don't know what that means. I tried looking that up on a map. I brought out all my nautical maps at Jedarin. Her crew was rescued. It says she was on a voyage from Asgard to Montrose. Forfinshire, United Kingdom. So I don't know, I don't know why they would be going from the Netherlands to Britain and end up in the middle of the Indian Ocean. But I was able to find at least a little bit of details. Does that mean the story's true? We don't know, right? Whether or not it's true, we can't determine that. But this story is so awesome. I really love this story and the idea. I, I, I we think of when sailors crash on these deserted islands. And that hopelessness, you know, you might be able to scrabble some stuff together to get off there. You may slowly eat each other away. <laughs> so you, I take a bite out of you, you take a bite out of me, we'll just keep doing this until the first person dies. But you could have 10 people die on an island and they're constantly hoping to get rescued and then they turn on each other and then, you know, 8 are left and then a couple die of disease and then all of them end up dying. Their bleached bones are never found. Their family and their employers and everyone never is able to figure out what happened to these 10 sailors. And that's so part of human nautical history. When we look at what humans have done crossing the oceans, that is what we're doing when we look at the stars. It's almost the same level of technology to build those galleons back in the day and to cross the ocean was such a monumental task. And if you messed up, you died. Water is just as hostile as space. Right? If you're, if you're mucking about in space and you float out of the space station, you're gone. You're just going to keep floating and floating and floating away until you get sucked into the orbit of something or burn up in the sun. And same thing, if you fall out of a boat, that boat's gone, bro. If you fall off of a cruise liner, you're done. It's so inhospitable. Nowadays, we're like, hey, let's hop on a cruise line. Let's hop on a Disney cruise and drive around and Baby Yoda will come out and help feed us oysters at the buffet. Maybe some... And I believe someday space travel will be like that. We'll look back at the this era of space travel the same way that we look back 400 years ago in nautical travel, you're like, well, we'll get in a boat and maybe we'll make it. Maybe the crew will mutiny. Maybe they'll never know what happened to that boat. Maybe that entire galleon could sink and have all this treasure in it and we don't even know what happened to it. And that's the same idea of an alien ship crashing on Earth. It's some backwater in the middle of nowhere. If you have this galactic civilization, right? past Alpha Centauri, and you have this craft that you build with the top technology of the time. You say goodbye to your alien wife and to your alien children, and you hop on board your ship, and you fly across the galaxy. You're leaving behind that civilization. You see the last lights of the colonies disappear on your view screen. You go farther than the farthest outpost. And now you're in the middle of a galactic nowhere. And your ship crashes on a mud ball on the edge of the Milky Way. It's the same thing. I find that so fascinating. The idea of an alien crashing here would be the same thing if we crashed on a rocky shoreline. You go, well, there's people here. That's not good for them. What would you rather do, crash on a deserted island... Or crash on an island full of hostile people. Like, you're (laughs) probably going to die anyways. Maybe you'll make friends with the people there. Or maybe they'll just kill you. Because you're some weirdo outsider walking around. You look like a devil to the humans. You shouldn't be there. You're a trespasser. Fascinating story. And I've always loved the connection between the nautical and... The galactic. We are all just explorers. Trying to find our way through the universe. Trying to discover new things about reality. About ourselves. But those type of adventures, they take blood. They take bodies. You gotta lose a lot of ships. You gotta lose a lot of ships to explore the world you got to lose a lot of ships to explore the galaxy. But it is through that loss, it's through that struggle, that you gain knowledge. That is a little solace to the men and to the aliens who die and no one knows where they are. A little solace to them. But for civilization as a whole, We wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for the explorers who risked their lives to get us here. Exploring is part of human nature. And from all the stories we've covered, all of the visitations, all of the events, all of the crash landings, I think exploration is part of alien nature as well. And hopefully that common theme unites us. And that our comrades' deaths will not be in vain. And we will all someday explore the stars together. deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you guys listen to it. Okay. You guys don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you guys listen to it today. Have a great one.